Okay, tonight we want to continue um, with looking at the area of giving, giving as God gives, and tonight we're going to dig into the principles for giving, and depending on how far we get, I'll either wrap up that, the section on giving tonight, or it might roll into another session, so we'll just see how, see how it goes uh, this evening. So principles for giving, it's more of the practical uh, how to, how should we give. Now, as I've said in the past, Jesus spoke a lot about finances because of the connection between um, one's heart, what or who one worships, and one's finances. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's a a connection between what we value and what we we worship or who we worship and, and where our heart is. And this explains why why Charles Spurgeon said the following. He said, Brethren, I do not think much of a conversion where it does not touch a man's substance. And those people who pretend to be Christ's people and yet only live for themselves and do nothing for him or for his church give but sorry evidence of having been born again. Uh, Jesus' words help us understand why people act the way that they do and and here's another witness uh, from the past along similar lines to what Charles Spurgeon said. And here a historian notes that in 1854, American statesman, politician, and soldier Sam Houston came to faith in Christ and was baptized. Afterward, he pledged to pay half the salary of one local pastor. When someone asked him why, he replied, my pocketbook was baptized too. Unquote. So it's an interesting way to, to look at that. But there is... There is very much a connection with the way we handle finances and our worship of God and how we live. So it does impact our, our, the way that we give. So you know, the big picture, we've looked at giving the way that God gives, that giving our money uh, can be a, a dead, legalistic, and painful experience. But when we approach giving from an aspect, uh, from the biblical perspective, giving becomes joyful, voluntary, and a beneficial act of, of worship to God. And so in previous studies, we've looked at, at the motives for giving. Tonight, we want to explain uh, the practical principles of giving, that is, uh, how, uh, how we should give. So I'll just ask us a series of questions to kind of guide us through this, uh, this study. So how should we give? First question is, when, when should we give? And we'll just start here. Uh, if you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, um, uh, actually, 2 Corinthians 16, I think. First, let me look. I know it says First Corinthians. My mind says it's second. I should trust my notes. First, it has to be first. If it's sixteen, absolutely. Yes, trust my notes. <laughs> Don't double guess your notes. First Corinthians sixteen. 1 Corinthians 16. Look at the first two verses. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. And notice that first, we're going to look at at several aspects of these two verses, but that first phrase of of verse 2, on the first day of every week. So the first day of the, of the week is a reference to the day we would call Sunday. 
Um, and it is, um, it is a reference to the, the church gathering. So the idea there is you just save whatever you make during the week uh, and you're to save a portion of that to, to give something on that day, on that worship service as the church would gather together. Now, now this doesn't mean um, you have to give something each Lord's Day. The, basically, the principle is that, that in, in the Old Testament times, the New Testament, like in the New Testament times when this particular letter was written to the Corinthians, they would have earned their week's wages and gotten paid something during the week. So the idea is you, you take some of that and you save it until Sunday so you have it to give. Because you know as well as I do, if you don't if you don't do that, if you don't take some of that and stick it away, it gets spent or used or it just isn't there um, when it when you want to to give it. Then, so um, you know, Paul's just directing them to save a portion. We'll get into how much in a, in a moment, but the the idea is whatever you get paid. So if you got paid on a weekly basis, you would you would bring something on a weekly basis to give as the church meets. If you got paid monthly. Then if you get paid monthly, then you just give monthly. I mean, you can break it up if you want to, so you can, you know, have something every Sunday. But that's that's your choice. In principle, the idea is as you as you get income, you take a portion of that and you give, and you just develop the habit of when you receive income that you that you give um, unto the Lord. So that that deals with kind of the uh, the the win. So we just need to make giving an activity that is as regular as our income, whatever that is. So you might have an irregular paycheck and only get paid on a commission or whatever. So just whatever the process, the principle is, whatever income you make, you take a portion of that, set it aside so that you're able to give it to the church uh, unto the Lord uh, on Sunday as the church meets. Um, second question, who should give? Who should give? Is this uh, just something for those that are on the uh, kind of upper echelon of the uh, more financially well-off within the church? And the answer is right there in that passage we look at, 1 Corinthians 16. Um, look at the second phrase on the first, and verse 2, on the, on the first day of each week, each one of you is to put aside and, and save as he may prosper. Each one of you. So uh, if you bring in an income, then you should give a portion of that for all the reasons we've, we've talked about in the past lessons on uh, motives for giving. And just remember the big the big picture of giving is is to give um, that giving as a as a worship of is one way we worship God. It's not the only way we worship God, but it is one way that we worship our Lord and our God. So God wants His people to worship Him, and that includes the worship of giving. Uh, he on, on this note, um, John MacArthur says this: Paul's directive to the Corinthian church, each one of you, is universal in eliminating any excuse and not attempt, not exempting any believer from the regular ministry of giving. God has made all his children stewards over a certain amount of wealth, even if it's small. He commands all to be generous with whatever they have. Though it is not easy to give much when you have a low income, that should not be an excuse for giving nothing. So if you have lots of wealth, then give, give uh, generously in proportion to how the Lord has blessed your income. If you have a little wealth, then give generously in proportion to how the Lord has blessed you. Um, even if you have, um, you know, even if you have substantial debt and you're working to pay off loans, you know, you just need to go ahead and develop the habit of giving. So you give, you may not give, be able to give what you'd want to give, 
if you have debts, you're, you're getting all those paid off, but it is important to develop the habit of giving. Um, so as I, I mentioned to you, I found a, a quote from MacArthur along the lines of what I mentioned before, that if you, he says, if you start out by being generous when you have modest resources, you will be much more likely to be generous when you have greater wealth. So it's, it's arguing from the lesser to the greater. So some people think, well, I'll, I'll give when I have X amount. I have this amount of cushion extra. And what happens is your, your lifestyle, when you, usually when you get an income uh, raise or something, uh, you need to replace a car or you, you're been wanting a bigger house or something else kind of fills the gap and all of a sudden you don't have it and then you're not, because you haven't developed the habit then of giving, then you still don't, it's a lot harder to get started. So processes or the principle here is get started no matter what you have, uh, just get, get started with regular giving, regular systematic giving. A third question is who should we give to? Who should we give to? So there's lots of people, especially this time of year. You probably got, you know, your my mailbox still has junk mail, and I'm like, how did I get on their mailing list? Um, you know, that's somebody asking for money and sent me a big thick envelope of like Christmas cards and all this kind of stuff. And I, it was a Christian ministry. I won't mention the name, but it was like they probably spent like, I know they had to spend like about $10 to send me a calendar, a Christmas calendar, Christmas cards, all this stuff with the expectation that I'm going to give them something. I'm like, all right, you've already shown me you're not good stewards of the finances God's given you because you're sending me something I didn't ask for and you're spending a lot of money to do it. So no, I'm not giving you money. Um, but your mailboxes are likely full also, whether it's the email coming in or whether it's a snail mail like I was just referring to. There's lots of places to give money. No shortage there. So how do, you, how do we make the decision? Well, Christians have a responsibility to make their local church the primary recipient of their giving. Not the only one, but the primary recipient of their giving. And this comes from the command in Scripture to support uh, several things. First of all, certain godly older women who are widows and live an exemplary life. Our church right now doesn't have any widows that need to be supported but uh, that is something that churches are called to do. The, the widows that meet that particular, um, the, the particular requirements laid out for us in 1 Timothy 5. You can turn there and, and see them. 1 Timothy 5, uh, three to, to verses 3 to 16. Uh, I'll just read that. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to want and pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. Have you been the wife of one man? having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put widows, younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. 
But I want younger windows, widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. If some have already turned, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has a dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So there are those widows indeed that the church has a scriptural obligation to help. So that's that's one of the reasons that we would we would give. In our particular church here at Medina Bible Church, we don't have any of the widows indeed that need that support right now, but but that, that may be the case someday where we do. Um, we also are to give, make the church our primary um, uh, recipient of giving because uh, Scripture commands us to support those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That same passage, look at verse 17, 1 Timothy 5, being at verse 17. The elders who rule well are, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. The laborer is worthy of his wages. And then uh, to add on on top of that, um, we are called to also support um, those who are gospel workers. So uh, we've been studying on Sundays, going through Titus. If you look at Titus 3, uh, 13, verses 13 and 14, there Paul says, um, Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. And then if you tie that together with 3 John uh, verses 5 to 8, we see something similar. 3 John verses 5 to 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers uh, with the truth. So God wants us to be fellow workers of the truth. In order for that to happen, uh, gifts have to be given. So these are, you know, in our in application, these are the missionaries that we that we support and the various evangelistic ministries that we support as well. You know, whether that's a lot of that work is done voluntarily, but it's uh, purchasing tracks or purchasing things that are, that are needed to support those ministries. Um, and the other thing um, is particularly important in, in certain cultures is the idea of supporting uh, poor Christians elsewhere. So, in Galatians uh, 2, we capture a little picture of, of the concern that the apostles had for poor Christians in Jerusalem. If you look at um, uh, Galatians chapter 2, we see in verse 7, when uh, Paul was talking with um, the apostles in Jerusalem, I'll just pick up at verse 5. This is Paul speaking. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked, um, sorry, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, 
James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So we've read a lot from Second Corinthians and how um, Paul is, is encouraging the Corinthian church to finish the, the offering they had begun and complete that. That was for the, the uh, poor believers in Jerusalem. So from time to time, there might be situations like that where we need to step in and help poor believers elsewhere. So these, these, these reasons and um, pay the rent in the building and practical things like that, um, that obviously they didn't have in New Testament times, but we have today are, are reasons why the church needs to be the primary beneficiary of your uh, gifts unto the Lord. So as your resources allow, then, you can look at giving directly to missionaries and or parachurch ministries. could be like a second tier of your consideration for your generosity. Now, you can give to missionaries through the church, or you can give directly. That's completely uh, up to you. And there are many parachurch ministries out there that are kind of vying for your consideration. So doing the work of building his church is, is certainly broader than Medina Bible Church. Um, so once once the local church's needs are met, consider supporting biblically faithfully biblical, biblically faithful, qualified, and worthy missionaries or parachurch organizations. So lots of times uh, we may not think about um, you know we think about financial accountability as we give, but also think about whether they're theologically aligned with what you believe the Bible teaches. So that's another consideration when you support a parachurch organization and or a missionary is are they theologically aligned and then as a as a good steward of christ you also want to examine how that ministry uses the funds that you give them um, now this isn't a parachurch organization but uh, from time to time someone will call me asking me to donate to the local firemen's fund or the policeman's fund and i fully support the policeman and the firemen but often i'll ask them if i give you a dollar how much will the firemen and police actually get and it's usually 50 cents on the dollar or 80 cents on the dollar. It's, you know, there's quite a bit of money spent in fundraising. So you may want to figure out ways to, to give to support police and firemen and or, in this case, to missionaries where that money is, is used better. Some parachurch organizations um, charge 10% of the missionary in order to cover their administration fees and support the missionary on the field. I mean, somebody's got to pay that cost. Um, but sometimes those costs can be exorbitant. Sometimes it's 20 or 30%. And when it's like that, then you can find um, more bang for your buck usually elsewhere. And I don't want to approach it in a pragmatic sense. I'm approaching it from a stewardship standpoint. Um, one, one neat thing with uh, the missionaries we support through Grace Ministries International, and this would be also true through the training centers, uh, if we ever support those, the Master's Academy International, so the administration fees for supporting those missionaries is completely underwritten by Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church out there. So when we give to a missionary or we give to a training center, 100% of those funds actually gets to them. So um, again, that's a, that's a gift that, that Grace Community Church is giving to all, the, all their partner churches. It's really an encouragement to the partner churches to, to get involved in, um, in that way. So that's, that's one of the nice things uh, about that. So 
there are many missionaries who aren't working with organizations like that. I don't want to um, take anything away from them. Again, administration fees, wherever they are, whether it's in the church or supporting a missionary in the field, they're there. You can't get away from them totally. But um, some, some organizations are not very frugal, and so you have to pay attention to, to how much their administration fees actually are. So giving to our local church should be systematic, uh, that is, on a regular basis. Um, but is there any guidance on how much we are to give? How much should we give? And this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time uh, here uh, this evening. How much should we give? So the first thing, there's several principles I want to give you here. The first thing is giving should be proportional to what the Lord provides. Giving should be proportional to what the Lord provides you. Um, the, the answer, I guess, let me give you the full answer and then we'll break it down. So how much should we give? Enough to be proportional, sacrificial, and generous. And the exact amount is up to you. So that's, that's the full answer. I want to break it down. So giving should be proportional to what the Lord gives you. So if, uh, if you're open to 1 Corinthians, again, we'll just make reference to verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the, for the collection of for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Notice that phrase, as he may prosper. So that's the principle of being proportional. God wants you to give uh, proportionally, but he's, again, there's no specific amount prescribed here. It's just, it's just say, as, as he may prosper, as you may prosper as the Lord provides income. So we would say the Lord isn't concerned with a certain percentage or amount or else he would have specified it here. Uh, Paul had a perfect opportunity to set a certain percentage to give and he did not do that. Um, but that's not. this isn't the only verse in the Bible that talks about this. In 2 Corinthians 8.3, 2 Corinthians 8.3, Paul says this, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord or so. So God is, is, uh, is, is an example. This isn't a mandate, but the example is the churches in Macedonia gave according to their ability. So again, there's the idea or principle of proportionality. Um, no amount is given. Then later on in, in verses 8 to 12, Paul says this, uh, trying to encourage the Corinthian church to complete their giving. He says, but now finish doing it also so that just as there was a readiness to desire it, that is, to desire to give a gift to the poor in Jerusalem, there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So if there's a certain amount of income that you have, a certain part of that is needed for your daily life. Uh, essentials, things that we've, we've talked about in even in the stewardship series, but there is a certain portion of that that the Lord has given you in order to give. Remember, we Titus is all about good, you know, it's about pursuing those good works which align with the uh, doctrine of salvation, with when, salvate, when God saves somebody and the Holy Spirit comes into their life, their life changes. And so these are the good works that God has given us. He's prepared before the foundation of the world that we would walk in them. So the giving is part of those good works the Lord want us, wants us to pursue. So when he gives you something, he's giving you a little extra to give to somewhere else. Yes, Charity? Um, even the same thing, um, so when it says that they collect, 
collected like on the first day of the week. Is, is that one just talking about for the gift to go to Jerusalem? Or is it talking about like they collect and then they give a portion of that to Jerusalem? The the I think the idea is that they would they would give as and then the as the church had need that it would give a portion of that. Okay. So I don't, but I don't think it really sets aside. I mean, the um, the idea is that there would be a collection, there would be an amount ready to give Paul when he arrives. Okay, it could be the whole thing. It could be part of it. it Correct. Be... Correct. Okay. It, I would say in this case, it's it's he's setting a principle of giving. For the particular need in Jerusalem, but the principle would go beyond, extend beyond the immediate need in Jerusalem. Because as, as a church would meet, they they did, you know, they weren't renting a building, meeting people's typically in people's homes and synagogues where they were friendly and open to that. But usually they were kicked out of the synagogues, so typically they're meeting in people's homes or by the riverbank, or so their expenses were as far as the church were lower, most of their funds went to supporting those who are preaching and teaching so that they could be freed up um, and then also supporting the poor or any other needs within the church there. That's a good question. So if you have other questions, feel free to ask. Um, so the, the principle there is, is, is proportional. So giving according to what a person has, not, not according to what he does not have. So, you know, God doesn't expect us to, to go into debt to give. He doesn't. He, he expects us to give a, a portion of what he has already given to us. It, it's the, the amount you give is pr- primarily an issue of your heart. It's primarily an issue of your heart. I mean, you have obligations uh, to care for your family. So those have to be taken care of, have to be taken into consideration. But Matthew, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which is part of the verse I quoted at the beginning. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this, for each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So whatever you give, God wants you to be able to give it um, uh, from your heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, but to do it in such a way that it, it, you, you can be a cheerful giver. You enjoy giving. You know God enjoys giving. So he wants you to have the habit of being uh, joyful in it. So our giving should be proportional. Our giving should also be sacrificial. Our giving should be sacrificial. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now that, that verse isn't talking about finances. I'm just applying the, the principle there to the area of finances. Our Lord set an example of of being a sacrifice for us. And the greater picture is that he stepped away from his throne to die on the cross for our sins. He became sin for us. But the, the principle there is that uh, the Lord uh, made a sacrifice for our benefit. And so we're looking at Jesus' sacrificial giving and following his example. And not this applies on a lot wider scope than just your finances. So we're just looking at that one little aspect of it. But the, the scriptures call us to, to live for the one who 
who died for us. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that we're to give away our wealth uh, until we come into the place where we come poor. It, it basically means to follow our Lord's example of giving of ourselves sacrificially, which includes, not limited to, but includes the area of finances. In principle, we need to understand that, that our giving is a, is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that the Lord sees as an act of worship. And, and by definition, sacrifices are going to cost us something. So in, in uh, 2 Samuel 24, 24, you know, uh, David uh, needs to bring a sacrifice to stop a plague that's going on within Israel. And he... Um, he needs to buy a piece of property, but the owner of that property basically says, no, I'll just give it to you because you're the king. I'll give it to you. And David says, no, I will not offer a sacrifice that did not cost me, that, that cost me nothing. In other words, he was going to pay a uh, top price for that land because it was going to be an, an altar uh, unto the Lord. That's in Second uh, Samuel 24, 24. I won't take time to, to turn there, but, but the idea is that you want to give to the Lord um, sacrificially um, I guess you see you see the attitude in our Lord again in Philippians 2 and the kenosis passage and verses 5 to 8 have this attitude in yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus who although existed in the form of God did not require regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're to see the Lord's sacrifice and what he did for us and to follow that example, again, in all and how we relate to others and how we serve each other within the church. And part of that is in our giving. Uh, you know, in principle, we want to give a, a gift that cost us something. So I guess the principle is this. If you have lots of wealth... Um, you might be able to give a very large gift compared to the average person, but it's meaning, almost meaningless to you because you hardly even miss it. Right? So you will, in principle, what you want to do is give a gift to the Lord. You can never give to him as much as he gives to you. But the principle is you want to give in such a way that it, that it costs you something. Right? So, um, and, and you will receive more, far more, and I don't mean financially, so, you know, the prosperity gospel twists all that. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you will be blessed uh, beyond what you can measure in finances by giving sacrificially to the Lord. You cannot outgive God. Um, so giving should be proportional. Our giving should be sacrificial. Our giving should be generous. Second Corinthians 8.2 uh, just when Paul talks about the Macedonian believers and their giving, he says, uh, he says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So they gave, a, they gave even in the midst of what he calls a affliction, a, a great ordeal of affliction. If you want to know what afflictions they encounter, I won't take time to turn there, but you can see that in Acts 17 where they go through many different kinds of uh, ordeals and um, afflictions. And even in, affliction, even in affliction, the Macedonians found ways to give. And, and they, they gave uh, unto the Lord joyfully. 
And, and it's important for us to realize that we need to learn how to give in affliction, that is to serve others in affliction, because often affliction is part of our lives. Now, the church in the United States lives pretty comfortably. We don't know really what affliction looks like when it comes to um, anti, you know, people that are opposed to Christianity. And we can be thankful for that. But let, it, let that kind of, um, let's not let that, peacetime status lead to us getting lazy with how we how we live we need to be resilient um, and even to uh, to be generous even in the midst of that and when affliction comes we'll continue to be um, generous so in philippians 1 29 paul says this he says for to you it has been granted for christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake so there are there are certainly periods of time where God takes us through certain kinds of afflictions, various kinds of trials, as James would put it. Um, you know, and talking about some of the, the sufferings that they went through, um, you could also look at First um, Thessalonians 3, 4, where Paul says, Indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer afflictions, so it has come to pass, as you know. But, but these things don't stop the church from doing what it needs to do. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, he also says that they had an abundance of joy despite being afflicted with trials. And, and in that joy, they, they gave. And they gave uh, having, with deep, um, with, even though they had deep poverty, they were giving um, in an overflowing sense. He says they, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So we're to give proportionally, sacrificially, generously. Notice nothing in here says anything about a certain percentage or amount. So that, that leads us to a, a sub-question. What about the idea of a tithe? We've heard the idea of a tithe. So I want to cover that just briefly. So when, when the topic of giving comes up, especially in churches, people will often ask about the concept of a tithe. Now, some churches teach that Christians are under a biblical mandate to tithe. Some would go to the extreme of actually looking at your checkbooks to make sure that you are doing that. Um, it's sad that, that they do that. I don't know if any today do, but there were periods of time when churches did that. Um, hopefully the scriptures that we've already looked at tonight, um, as well as ones in the past, will help us to see that, that nothing in God's word instructs us to give a certain percentage or to give proportionally, sacrificially, and generously, as I've mentioned. So there, there is no um, exact amount. So, so what about this tithe then? That's true. What about the tithe? Well, what is tithing? That's the first question. What is tithing? Well, sometimes the word tithe is used in a synonymous sense to giving. So that's how some people just, just use it. They talk about a tithe. They talk about their giving. Um, this isn't totally accurate. It's how people use the term, but it's not totally accurate because the term tithe stems from the word or comes from the word that actually means a tenth or 10%. Uh, scholars point out that the Hebrew and Greek terms both refer to a tenth. Thus, to tithe is to give an exact 10%. You can't technically tithe 2%. You can give 2%, but you can't tithe that amount. Um, you can only technically tithe 10%. Again, there are people who use this synonymously with giving, but in the Bible, it's, it's really talking about a 10%. So does this 10% apply to Christians? Does the Bible teach Christians to tithe? Well, let's look at that in just kind of a high-level summary fashion. Is it, if we, if we word it another way, are we required to tithe? Is it a sin to give less than 
Um, another way to word it is this way. Is the tithe an essential and enduring requirement for believers today? And I, I will I'll show you the answer is no. Now, we won't take a, a, the time to go look at all the various verses in the Old Testament. So I'm going to give you what I'm giving you tonight is a, is a summary fashion. If you want to do a, a kind of a deeper dive on it, I would recommend uh, Pastor John MacArthur's uh, book, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Or if you don't want to buy a book, um, he has sermons. Most of his books were sermons before they were books. So you can usually find a sermon for free uh, from their website on these very issues. So uh, you can kind of do a, a deeper study of it there. What I'm going to give you tonight is just kind of a, a highlights uh, of the tithe from his book, which I think is very helpful. So giving throughout the Bible can be placed in two categories. So if you just look at it from a standpoint, all the giving in the Bible can be placed in two categories. One is required giving. The second one is voluntary giving. Required giving and voluntary giving. So um, now if we look at giving in the pre-Mosaic times, Mosaic times, New Testament times, um, I'll give you just an, an example of each of those. Um, we can see what the tithe does in each of those. So the word tithe first uh, appears in Genesis 14, 20, um, where Abraham is said to have given a tenth of the portion of spoils of war to Melchizedek. Um, that is, he gave a tenth of everything he won in his victory over the five kings who captured Lot. Now these five kings came, came they, they captured Sodom, they took Lot away, and, and um Abraham went and, and, and conquered those kings, rescued his uh, rescued Lot, and then everything that he brought back, all the spoils of war that those kings had captured, then Abraham had, and he gave a tenth of those spoils to Melchizedek. Notice he didn't give like 10% of his yearly income, whatever that might be. It was just 10% of the spoils of war, or giving thanks to God for having won that victory. Um, Abraham chose 10% voluntarily. There's nothing in the text where God says, uh, demands 10%. No instructions. This is before the Mosaic law. So there's no law, no written law, no verbal law. This is um, Abraham giving uh, voluntarily 10%. Uh, MacArthur notes that in the pre-Mosaic law, the concept of the tithe was not distinctive to the Bible or to those who believed in the true God. Historically, the idea of giving a tenth to a deity was a common pagan custom. For nearly all ancient cultures, the number 10 was a symbol of completeness. Typically, when pagan worshipers wanted to give an offering to their deity, they would give a tenth because that symbolized their giving of everything, their surrendering of all they had to their false god. Thus, one cannot really argue that God in the book of Genesis originated and specifically mandated tithing as a permanent principle, unquote. So that's, that's kind of the argument you'll hear sometimes, that, that the, the tithe appears before the law, so therefore it should, it should continue even after the law. But again, um, Abraham gave that voluntarily, and it wasn't of all of his income, it was just of what uh, he won in battle. So we would say there's, there's not a permanent principle that we can draw from that. What about the tithe during Mosaic times when there was a law? The Mosaic law, so, so if we just back up and say in the pre, pre-Mosaic law, Abraham, times of Abraham, was that voluntary giving or was that required giving? What do you think? Voluntary. 
was, he gave 10% voluntarily, wasn't required. Now, if we go to the Mosaic times, we'll see something a little bit different. In the Mosaic law, uh, the Mosaic law instituted tithes at three different times for three different purposes so that the Israelites were, that were required to give. So if you, if you, if you take all those tithes, put them together, uh, they had to give approximately 23% of their income annually. You say, well, how is it that you say 23% of a tithe is 10%, there's three offerings, uh, three required offerings of, of tithe. How does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. 10% went, it was basically like a taxation to support the national government, that is Israel. 10% went to support the various national religious festivals, the priests and everything that went on in those festivals. And those were given annually. So that's where you get your 20%. And then there was a 10% that they had to give every third year. So, and that's where you get your three, it's actually three and a third percent uh, annually. So altogether it's 23 and a third percent is what they gave. And it, it, this, this part of it wasn't, was obligatory. It's like our taxes today. It went to support the government, went to support the poor, went to support the defense of the nation. So these are basically nothing more than taxes that they were required to get it. And we would add to this that that, that 23 and a third percent didn't cover any of the voluntary giving that, that the nation needed. There are times where God said, give according to your heart, whether it's building the tabernacle um, or other things that, that came up. There were times where they had free will offerings and those are also included. Uh, those would be in addition to the 23 and a third percent. So you all, all add all that up and you'd say, well, you can't walk away from it. And then to New Testament times, 23 and third percent, now you're, now you're, some churches are mandating 10%. How are they doing that? They're just, they're, they're, they can't do it biblically uh, because the, the, it, it's not supported either in pre-Mosaic time or in Mosaic time. But what about in New Testament times? Well, in New Testament times, uh, the Jews still had the voluntary giving and the, the required giving. That is, they had the free will giving, but they also had these, these ties that they are required to give. And you could say they even had it worse because then there was the Romans that were taxing them as well. So they were supporting the Israelite government, but they were also supporting the Roman government, which is why the Roman government hired like tax collectors like Matthew in order to collect the tax. So Matthew's tax collection didn't support the Israelites. That went to Rome. And some of those tax collectors could then collect more than their share, and that's how they got so wealthy. So you can see that the Israelites were very heavily taxed in, in many, many ways. So, uh, And that's why the whole issue of whether you to pay your tax or not was a big issue. Jesus covered that. Very clearly, Jesus taught that we should pay our taxes. So that's our required giving. So the required giving for the Israelites went to the Roman government, went to the you know, Israelite government, support the, the temple and all that went on there as well. Uh, New Testament believers should pay their taxes to their governments. That's our required giving. But then New Testament believers are given, uh, give voluntary offerings uh, to God. And here I'll just, again, quote MacArthur. He says, Tithing in both the Old and New Testament times was the paying of taxes, and the Jews under the Mosaic law paid as much as 25% per year in tithes. He's just kind of rounding up. For years, many conservative evangelical fundamentalist churches have promoted tithing as the basic standard for what their members should place in the offering plate. 
But such a rigid concept viewed as universal and eternal principle for all believers is simply not taught in Scripture. The new covenant principle in giving is not derived from some mandatory percentage. So the New Testament, the new covenant principles of giving are what we've already shown. Giving that's proportional, giving sacrificially, giving generously unto the Lord. So 10% is... uh, is something that's very ingrained, I think, to uh, particular church cultures. I know I heard that lots uh, growing up within the church. And if you're giving 10%, there's nothing wrong with giving 10%, but just just know that, that it's a free will, that that's something you do of your own accord. Maybe the Lord wants you to give more than that because of your particular situation. You know, there are times in our lives where we, we don't need to look at the 10% figure as even... Um, um, like a maximum. I, I have known people who every time they got a raise, they did not increase their standard of living, but they increased their standard of giving. And they, they did that intentionally. And they did it to honor the Lord. That's the only reason they did it. Right? I'm sure there was things they would have liked to have bought for their creature comforts. And, and that was just what they did. I'm not saying you have to do that. that. That's just what that particular couple decided to do. So, you know, if you're not giving, obviously you need to start giving. And you might think, well, a 10%, that's a, that's a big jump. Well, don't worry about it. Don't, you don't have to start with that. There's nothing that says you have to start with that. But start something, right? Look at proportional. Look at sacrificial. Uh, look to give generously and just start your giving. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, uh, he, he gave this as a guide. He said, our gifts are not to be measured by the amount we contribute, but the surplus kept in our own hand. Our gifts are not to be measured by the amount we contribute, but by the surplus kept in our hand. And here again, just reference to to what we learned before about the motives for giving. And remember that that God will bless and reward us when we seek to be obedient to his word. And I just kind of want to close with reading uh, 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession, to your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And because the Lord has given us such an indescribable gift, we are to be gift givers like him. So just kind of looking at what we've studied tonight. When when should we give? Systematically, regularly, right? Each as often as you get paid. Who sh- who should give? Every Christian should give. Each one of us. 
who should we give to? Primarily our local church, but as the Lord provides, then we look for other faithful ministries where we can invest ourselves in the kingdom of God. And then uh, how much should we give? Enough to be proportional, sacrificial, and generous. And the exact amounts, it's up to you, right? Give generously. Um, you know, develop that habit of, of being uh, a giver like God gives. And it's it's kind of a, a, a great privilege for me to, to walk through these principles at a time when, um, and this has been the pattern since I've been at this church, this church has been a gener- has, has given generously. Right? God has met every need and, and then some. Um, yeah, just as a, just an example, some practical examples, you know we, we thought we would be taking um, money out of our savings account every single month in order to, to, to move me towards full-time ministry. And the Lord, through addition of, of people and the generosity of the saints, those two things together has worked so that we haven't taken any money out of our savings in order to do that. And, and the Lord is just, just blessed and you guys have been uh, tremendously generous. And so you know, we just need to thank the Lord for that, that he has supplied it, supplied everything that we need and he will continue to do that. And just know that it's a lot of fun to be able to meet people's needs and, and um, to do so uh, sometimes anonymously and, and where they don't know, but just, just to see, just to be a blessing, be that agent of blessing um, is just a great privilege and brings a lot of joy. So, uh, and the Lord will, again, reward you eternally uh, for that. Um, any, any questions? That was a lot of material kind of fast, but any, any questions? Okay, I don't see any hands, so I'll pray, but if there's something that, that uh, if you have questions, uh, feel free to come talk to me afterwards. Yeah, let's pray together. Our Lord, we, we um, know that you are the, the gift giver, giving yourself to us, giving salvation to us through our Lord Jesus Christ and giving us everything we need for, for life, for godliness, and so many practical things, Lord, clothing and shelter and food. And Lord, I, Lord God, I just thank you for making this church to be a very generous church. Pray that that will continue, that you will help us to excel in generosity and Lord God, that you would uh, just multiply these uh, sacrificial gifts for your uh, kingdom, Lord. Allow us to uh, accomplish much uh, for your kingdom, Lord, that though we be uh, few in number, that through your, your work, Lord, there would be a big impact on the kingdom of God. And uh, Lord, just uh, again, just help us to grow in these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.